The following For the City sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, we're going to continue through the Gospel of Luke. We've entitled this sermon series A Feast for Failures, right? If that offends you, hang in there. It might get worse, right? <laughs> this morning, we're going to continue to see why this sermon series title is so fitting. So fitting, as Jesus continues to upset the apple cart um, by not fitting into the cultural norms of that time, okay? Uh, and by the way, this reminds me, and I almost didn't add this because, you know, you got to be careful with like, you know, movies, because like I never saw that movie and then sometimes that doesn't work. And as I get older, you're like, I never heard of that movie. I'm like, dude, it's only in 1980. You're like, I was born in 1997. I'm like, oh, I graduated in 94. That ain't good. <laughs> Right, but who don't answer me, but maybe you've seen the movie The Hoosiers, it's a basketball movie. Uh, if not, I think you'll still get what I'm, I'm driving at here. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, I don't really care. I'm just using this because I think it really gets at the heart of, of really what's happening in this moment in Luke. So, there's a movie called Hoosiers, and there's a guy named Norman Dale. And he's become the basketball coach in a very small town in Indiana, the state of, a school, right? And some of the parents, uh, let's say some of the players' parents, they're not very excited about this guy. He's really just coming in and he's messing up their lives. He's benching kids they don't think he should and he's doing different things that are not orthodox to what they would normally do. And they're, they're starting to oppose him, these parents, right? It's kind of like pastoral ministries at times, right? But there's a scene in the gymnasium where this one dad comes up. He's a father, and he's, he comes up, and his speech goes like this. So he's going right to the coach. He's not happy. And he says this. He says, Mr., he says, the way I see it, there are two kinds of dumb. There's the guy who gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon. And he said, there's the guy who does the same thing in your living room. He said, the first you can mostly ignore, but the second, well, that sort of, you're forced to deal with, right? And so what he's saying is, it's fine if you want to be crazy, as long as you're crazy, doesn't come into my house, right? But now you're starting to bother me, and now I got to deal with you. Well, can I just tell you, <laughs> this is how my brain works, pray for me. I think that's how Luke's presenting Jesus, He's the guy, now don't push this too far, who's getting naked, barking at the moon in the living room of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were like, we were fine with you doing that in Nazareth. You know, your little podunk village where you're from. But now we're starting to hear reports of you. And you're starting to upset the norm. And we're not very happy, right? And so now we got to deal with you. And I'm going to tell you the same Pharisees, scribes, sinners, saints, you, we're all forced to deal with Jesus. We're forced to deal with Jesus. He is either a deceiver or he is deity. He is either Lord or he is a lunatic. But you cannot make, now, now many people do, him into something you can just be comfortable with, right? Oh, he's a good teacher. He's very nice. He just walks around and says pithy little things and some spirit sprinkles. And I like him at Christmas time. I like Christmas Jesus, right? You can do that, but it's disingenuous. Because to understand the gospel, to see Jesus, to, to know you are either I hate 
that. I hate him. <laughs> By God's grace, I love him. And there's no in-between. If, if you say, I'm in-between, you're being disingenuous. You're just, being, you're just not looking at him. You don't know him. You've made a Jesus into your own image, one you can be comfortable with. But Christ won't allow that. There's no middle ground, right? Jesus' words and ministry, they tend to cause people to divide into two groups. And we see this all throughout the Gospel of Luke so far. There were, the crowds were flocking to Jesus for a lot of different reasons, by the way. Some were rejoicing because he was healing and doing these different things. It doesn't mean they actually liked Jesus. They just liked the healing, right? Some people, though, were actually just like, like, like Peter. They're giving up their career. They're, they're walking away from it all to follow him, right? And, and so you have that. But then if you remember back in Nazareth, yeah, some people... They're like, hey, that's a good sermon. And then he started to say some things that were kind of pointed. And they're like, let's throw this guy off a cliff. <laughs> that really is the two camps. It's the two camps. And, and so that great divide, that great divide continues this morning. Just look. Luke 5, 7, or Luke 5 27 through 28. That's where we're going to start. So remember, last week, we healed, Jesus healed the leper, right? He forgave the man's sins who is on the mat, then everybody had a real problem with that. I understand that. But then he said, oh, you don't think I got authority to do that? He said, just to show you I got some authority, how about you get up and uh, walk home, Mr. Paralyzed Man? And so he just jumps up rejoicing and goes. And then now they're hearing about this. That's a scandal. You can't do these things and not trend on you know, like Twitter or something. right? Word got out then even. And they're starting to hear about Jesus, and now they're coming. And so after this, that's the first words, he went out. He saw a tax collector named Levi. Some people think it's Matthew. Some people disagree with that. We don't know. Let's call him Levi. That's what his name is here. Sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. By the way, chances are there's a lot of interaction that happened before this. We don't know all of those details because Luke doesn't want us to know. But my guess is this is not their first interaction. Jesus didn't just walk up to a guy named Levi and say, follow me. He said, okay, right? They probably had a little bit of discussion. But, and says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Let's, let's just stay there for a minute. Jesus continues to cause some serious trouble, right? Uh, it, why is this trouble? Well, he's, he's, he's taking initiative to enlist a follower to be one of his disciples, to follow him, who is a member of the class of society at that time, which would have been the absolute scum of the earth. And you're like, I don't like tax collectors either. Well, it's worse than what you think, right? I actually don't like paying taxes, but we do it, right? And we try to do it with joy and honor the Lord. But you might think, well, that's a little harsh, right? I actually think again, tax collectors during that time were, were normally Jews, okay? And they were under Roman occupancy, Okay, so Rome was an oppressor and they were horrible and they, they wanted to rape and pillage and take your money and rule with an iron fist. And the way they would do that is they would tax the people. Okay, but here's the problem. They're busy and because they're busy, they don't have time to go collect all the money. So they needed some helpers. So how do we get some worker bees? They would basically say, okay, Southwest Greensburg, 
how about it, Spencer? Would you like to go and be the tax collector of Southwest Greensburg? You're from there. You know the people. And now remember, Rome's talking to, in this case, I was going to say a Jewish boy. And, and he's saying, I need you to go and knock on the door. Here's how much you can buy that plot of land for. And you better have the money. Put your hand down. We'll get to it later. I promise. Uh, and you got to go and you got to get the money from that neighborhood. Now, here's the deal. If you don't have that money, that's bad news for you, Spencer, because Rome's expecting that money. But the only way you're going to get paid is if you get a little bit more. So you've got to extort some money. So here's what we expect. Let's just say 10%. And you, if you want any money, you've got to get more than that. But you better be ready to pay Rome when that time comes at the end of the year. So that's how a tax collector worked. Now, think about this. Rome hates, we're all from Southwest in this scenario, Southwest Greensburg hates us. And, and he grew up with us. We're friends. And now he's working for the enemy. And, and one day, knocking on your door. Who is it? Oh, it's Spencer. Spencer. Spencer, what's up, man? He's like, hey, I'm here for, I'm here for some money. Well, what do you mean? Like, I work for Rome. Oh, you're here to collect my 10%? You work, you work for Rome? And I'm, I'm already struggling with this. Why are you working for the enemy? And now, I'm going to give my 10% because I know what it means if I don't. But now, he's going to ratchet down on me because he, he wants to make a living. <laughs> do you hate tax collectors yet? Of course you do, if you're honest. They were, they were horrible people. They were traitors. They extorted money from people they loved. They were greedy. They were dishonest. They were traitors. You, you feel this, right? So tax collectors, because they were so bad, they could not serve as a witness in court, right? Uh, they were excommunicated from synagogue, so you, you would have to go. Get out of here, bud. You're not welcome here, right? So just to feel the tension when Jesus goes up to, to a tax collector and says, come follow me, right? Um, so with that in mind, imagine everyone's shock when Jesus asked one of these scumbags to follow him. I mean, what kind of respectable rabbi, teacher, would do this? Would allow a, like a sinner like that to be a part of his, his ministry team? Are you serious? Like, Levi would have been voted least likely to ever be a Christ follower in high school, right? He's totally unfit for discipleship, and so you can see why this would be such a scandal. Side note, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, specifically, Jesus, when, when he calls people to follow him, he's not simply calling sinners to follow him in some kind of like quasi way, like, hey, just let's go see where this goes. He's calling them in that moment to repentance, repentance, to change their mind, to literally to abandon their former way of thinking and living and to adopt his way of thinking and living. Right? So that's all implied in that follow me. No longer could Levi uh, be centered around his own needs, his own securities, particularly when his, his needs and security were secured at the expense of others. Right? You see that? So that, that no longer flies, Levi. If you follow me, you're, you're, you're going to be a new man. You're leaving that behind. That life's over. You're done. Right? We're talking total transformation. By the way, it's not much different when we come to Christ. As a matter of fact, it's not different when we come to Christ. 
right? I think there's sometimes we, we have these two tiers of Christians. You've got the born-again folks who are real serious about Jesus. They read their Bibles and they pray and they hang out outside of Sunday morning. And then you've got, you know, just the cultural Christianity, just want to kind of go. And, you know, it'd be really nice if the pastor would just say something kind of pithy and make me feel a little bit better about myself so I can just go through the week. Chipper, right? Um, there's, the Bible knows no such thing. No such thing, right? Follow me. Follow me. What does it mean? You ever play Simon Says? Right? We're not going to play this morning. It's weird. But if, if Simon says, touch your nose, what do you do? Touch your nose. Well, it's kind of like that. Jesus says. What do you do? What he says. That, that's what we're talking about here. And so Levi would know that. All right. It continues. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. I love that. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. By the way, and others, we don't know what that looks like, but let's just say this. Levi didn't have great friends, right? They weren't hanging out with Levi because he enriched their lives, right? This would have been quite the scene, right? I mean, coming, coming to Christ, by the way, don't miss this, is a reason to party. Legit party, right? But to party, to celebrate, I was dead, I'm alive. Let's party. Let's party. And, and Levi, he gets it. So the first thing this retired tax collector does is he throws a party, and Jesus is the honored guest. He's the center of attention. And, and, and the guest list, we don't know, but it, it would certainly be quite uh, scandalous. Now, this would have been like watching an episode of The Sopranos. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying if you did, that's what it would probably look like. These people would have been loud, they would have been loaded, and they would have been lewd. I mean, it would not have been good. This would have been not like, don't picture some little, like, little pizza party, right? I mean, a little pizza party, everybody's just kind of hanging out, and they got their little cups, they got their little solo cups, and they put their orange stuff in it. It's like the stuff like from McDonald's when you were a kid. Don't, don't picture that. Many courses would have been served. This would have been extravagant, extravagant. Um, cups would have been filled, and they would have been refilled. They would have had the best of beverages, right? Um, the good stuff. Lamps, even as they were dimming, you know, oil was running low, and they were flickering in the wee hours as Jesus would have definitely engaged some needy sinners with good news. And Levi's like, I told you, I told you, guys, this is where life's at. This is what he's doing. And we see that pattern throughout the New Testament, by the way. Now, you have the woman at the well. If you don't know who that is, that's okay. Stick around. Read John 4 today, and you can figure that out. But she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. She runs into town. She says, you've got to meet a man. You've you got to meet him, right? This is the pattern we see coming to faith, is that you then take your friends, and you've got, I've got to get you to Jesus. Come, right? So he throws a party. Now, I'm going to read just a, a, a small quote from a book. Uh, the book's title, I love it, by the way, is Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. I like that, right? Um, but listen to what they say about meals, okay? And I quote, In the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. In Judaism, in particular, table fellowship means fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shared in the meal brings about the fact 
that they all have a share in the blessing, which the master of the house had spoken over the unbroken bread. It's kind of see the picture of communion, right? Thus, Jesus' meals with tax collectors and sinners, too, are not only events on a social level, not only an expression of unusual humanity and social generosity and sympathy with those who were despised, but had an even deeper significance. They are an expression of the mission and message of Jesus. Eschatological means, don't worry about that, anticipatory celebration of the feast in the end times, right? In which the community of saints already being represented. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of redeeming love of God. If you didn't catch all that, that's all right. But here's, here's the point. And this is real important to us at For the City Church that you, if you're going to be a part of this church, that you grasp this, that you embrace it. You might not grasp it or embrace it right away, but we would ask you to get there and to work through it. And, and here's what it is. This church, we have a philosophy and a mindset and a posture that when we come in contact with people, you belong. Right? I'm not saying you belong to God. That's by grace alone, through repentance and faith alone, in Christ alone, period. But you're, you're our people, and we're going to love you. And we're going to pray, by the way, spoiler alert, that you would believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that as you believe, what will happen is your behavior will change. Because there is no coming to Christ without behavioral changing. You don't change your behavior to then be good with God, but when you are good with God, your behavior will change over time, long time at times, right? Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's really long, but you're going to slowly grow, you're going to slowly change. So our mentality is you belong, we're going to pray you believe, and as you believe, your behavior will change. Can I just tell you how that is not most churches' experience? I know, because I used to go to them as a lost guy. Jesus saved me at 23. And, and let me just tell you how most of my experience went going to church as a lost man. Here's how it went. Behave. That's the first B, right? You got to kind of look like us, by the way, bud. You don't. You got some holes in your jeans. That used to be a big deal. Now everybody, like even like 80-year-old moms got like holes in their jeans. Weird, but whatever. Unless, you know, they can't afford them, then we should buy them new ones. But be, you know, you come, you behave. We're going to figure out if you believe by asking you a series of questions. And if you answer just like us, then maybe you belong. Maybe. We got to see. <laughs> right? Um, can I just tell you how far off the gospel and what Christ did in his life that is? It's just far off. So you can imagine, though, right, before we get on our high horse, you can imagine that the Pharisees, the scribes, God's people in general, might have a problem with Jesus enjoying a meal with such sinners. Right? You can, I, I can sympathize with that. I really can. They, they would have thought, when Messiah comes, right, when Messiah comes, that he would actually oppose and punish these wicked people, Right? He's not going to break bread with them. I know people who still have that idea. By the way, when Messiah does return, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. The season of salvation is over. So it is different. But the first go around of Jesus putting on flesh, coming and dwelling with us, he did not come to judge. We were already judged. We needed salvation. He came to save. 
That was the point. They missed it, right? But before you start thinking, man, the Pharisees and the scribes are a bunch of jerks, just imagine. I think it's always good to imagine how you might feel if you showed up and, and Jesus, okay, Messiah's here, he showed up and he started criticizing the church going folks and he started frequenting parties hosted by a pretty sexual, immoral drug dealer terrorist who really caused you some serious problems in your life. I'm sure you would have all been like, oh, I get it. No, it's cool. He loves people. You'd had a real problem with it. My guess is that we might have been as scandalized as the Pharisees. You know why? Because you and I are much more like the sinners and the Pharisees than we are Jesus. I know, we always want to be the hero. No, I'm like Jesus. You're not. And neither am I. You're not. Oh, religion creeps in. It just does. It just, just creeps in ever so slightly. So I've got to keep coming to the Word of God and having our minds transformed. Transformed, right? All right, well, the story continues. Luke 5, 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes, ready, grumbled. Oh, they grumbled at his disciples. And saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, not everybody's enjoying this party. The religious wet blanket committee has showed up, and they're exercising their spiritual gift. You know what it is? Grumbling and complaining. Don't believe me? Keep reading Luke, right? Uh, they're questioning. What do, I mean, they're not questioning Jesus, by the way. They're like, hey, you, you're with, you're with that guy, right? That guy, Jesus. Why, why are you guys doing this? Right? They have a real problem with it. Uh, and so what's the primary problem? Here's the primary problem. They believed in salvation by segregation. That's what they believed in. The Pharisees absolutely believed in salvation by segregation. Don't go near them. You're going against our rules. I got a real problem with it, right? They didn't like the company that Jesus was keeping. It was guilt by association. You may have been there before. Sadly, this still happens in church today because there's such a temptation to just become this little community that's a nice, neat, tidy little club, right? And, and the elite society of everybody. And we just tell everyone how to live. We don't drink, smoke, chew, or date girls who do, right? No shoes, no shirt, no salvation, right? Like this is our mantras. And we have bumper stickers and we put them on there. It's, it's so easy to find yourself surrounded peop like, by people just like you. They vote the same way. They all homeschool their kids. They all watch Veggie Tales. They have the vid angel. They only listen to K-Love. And by the way, if you do any of those things, I don't mind. You're free in Christ to do that. But when you start saying everyone else must do it that way or you're not a Christian, it's when you went too far, right? I'm not against Caleb. I mean, I don't really listen to it, but if that's your thing, cool. We homeschooled Sarah for a season. We, we, we policed the channel. Why? Because that's, that's what good parents do in seasons of life at times. But when you start telling everyone else they must do it that way, you're just, you're, you're, you're not biblical, you're, you're extra biblical. You just didn't think Jesus got it all in there. She so just kept writing. And that's what the Pharisees did. Let me tell you the danger of it. I'm going to give you a, a, something that's just like, oh, I don't even like to think about that, but sorry. You may or may not remember the Duggard family. Oh, I know. <laughs> Really, Pastor Scott, we're going there? We are. 
if you don't know about the Duggards, that's okay. They had like 87 kids and they had a little combine and like no one was allowed in and no one was allowed out because they said the world is so evil that we'll not leave our kids outside this 47 mile radius farm. Problem was what they don't understand is what the Bible says. What the Bible says is the problem is not out there. The problem's in here. See, the enemy, the wicked, was within. And great evil happened within that home. If you don't know the story, I'm not even saying you should look it up. But get the principle. Get the point. See, the Pharisees think we've got to keep everyone out. And Jesus is saying, well, let's see what he says. Let's see what he says. Luke 5, 31 through 32. Jesus answered them. See, He's questioning, the the Pharisees and scribes are questioning the disciples. Jesus, he sees it. He's got some good peripheral vision and hearing. He kind of steps over. Hey, guys, I got this one. Look what he says. Those who are well, and you could actually put in little parentheses, or those who actually think they're healthy, right, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call, and once again, bracket, the so-called righteous, or the self-righteous, you could say, but sinners to repentance. You've got to get the sarcasm in Jesus' voice here, right? Not sinful, because Jesus never sinned, but what, he's, he's being pointed with these guys. He's, he's saying, oh, no, it's okay, I understand. You just stay out there. There's no way these Pharisees are at the party, by the way. I don't know if they're peering in the window. They would never be in there. They're maybe outside the yard. Here's the fence line. What are you doing, right? <laughs> Jesus comes out to him. He says, hey, don't, don't worry, man. I didn't, I didn't come for you. You're fine. Oh, Jesus takes off the gloves here, right? He's saying, you, you believe in salvation by separation? Cool. I'm into salvation by association. Oh, do you get the difference? They need me. They need me, and I'm going to come to them. Essentially, what he's saying is, when you go to the doctor, you know you're sick, and you know you need help, right? Uh, the healthy don't... They don't have need of a doctor, but those who are sick do, right? This makes sense. Do you ever look at a doctor who's just around sick people and think, what's he doing? What's she doing? Why are they around sick people? Right? You don't don't think that. You don't ever look at a plumber like, why are they cleaning out the sewer pipes? That's what they do, (laughs) right? Why, Why has this mechanic got grease on his hand or grease on her hand working on this machine? That's because that's what they do. And we could go on and we could go on and we could go on. Like mortician. Why, why is a mortician working with dead people? Eh, here's your sign, right? <laughs> the reason Messiah is with the sinners is because they need salvation. And the Pharisee can't see that, right? Because they think they're good. And we don't need you. Jesus is giving them a look at what makes him tick. Jesus will tell us in Luke 19.10, here is my mission. I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's why I've come. What's his method? He's going to tell us in chapter 7. I came eating and drinking. Whoever thinks of Jesus' mission that? Like, you don't see that on bumper stickers. I don't have any t-shirts that says Jesus came eating and drinking. That might be very confusing for people. We don't want to say that. Put a fish on your car. Right? Like, (laughs) that's what he did. That's what he did. So he comes because that's... His means of doing that is I'm going to enter right where they're at. And I'm not going to sin. I want to call them out of it. I'm coming to bring life to the party. I'm coming to bring better wine. 
<laughs> How we just messed Jesus up. But that's, that's why I'm so thankful for the Word of God to correct us. Right? So he, he continues. Um, he's showing what, what makes him tick. As he paints this picture, right? The role of a doctor is to tend for the sick. Just like the role of a shepherd is to care for the sheep. To make sure they're safe. To make sure they're fed. To make sure they've got clean water. And as they're going through a suffering time of shadow of death, I'll be right there with them. Eating and drinking is a part of the ministry that brings God's healing to people. Forgiveness of sin, right? Those who are sick and sinful receive this blessing of sitting down. God sits down with them. He reclines at table. Why? Because he loves them. He loves them. Is this how you think of Jesus? It's not how most people think. See, that's the kind of person, by the way, those who understand, that's the kind of person who ends up friends with Christ. The one who understands, I'm desperately sick with sin. And I need help. I need help. And he says, pull up a chair. They didn't have chairs. Lean here. <laughs> right? Like They had chairs, but they didn't use them at dinner table. Anyway, Jesus is teaching that he's not worried about being contaminated by coming in contact with sinners. He's not worried about that. He understands that they need to be exposed to him. He's not worried about being contaminated. He's I'm going to rub off on them. And that's where they're at. That's where I'm going. Because they need. Right? He gave this, the picture of being a fisherman. Right? Uh, we're gonna be, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right? Guess where you ought to fish? Where there's fish. Right? It's not, it's not hard. Evie, can I get an amen? Where are you at, girl? Yep. Amen? Okay, good. Yeah, Evie's quite the fisher lady, right? She's like, she knows how to catch them. Dad taught her. Good job, Dad. But they know we're going to go to the stream where the steelhead are. You'll never see them casting their line out in a field. If we do, I'm going to have some questions. Um, you got to go where they're at. And, and Jesus went where the sinners were because he understood I'm, I'm their only hope. I'm their only hope. Right? And so Luke 5.33, right? Now, see, the Pharisees, they're persistent in their self-righteousness and religion. So they double down on their ignorance. Got to love it, right? Makes for a good story. And this is all around the dinner table, right? And so Luke 5.33, and they said to him, okay, the disciples of John fast often with prayers, right? And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, they eat and they drink. Hmm. Right? Do you get what they're saying? What they're saying is, you mentioned a word, Jesus, that we like, and it's a good word. It's the word repentance, right? But here's the problem, Jesus. You say you come to call those who are sin sick to repentance. Well, so did John. And the difference is, is that John's followers showed their repentance and their evidence of repentance by their fasting and prayer, because fasting was so tied to repentance, right? Gotta, gotta, I got to take time, set aside get myself right with God. But, but then, okay, so if fasting is a sign of repentance and it's attended by prayers for forgiveness, well, Jesus, you're not doing it the way we would do it, right? Jesus' call is basically not showing evidence that he's calling them to repentance. That's their problem. As a matter of fact, they eat, they drink, they don't fast, they don't pray, they're partying. I got, what's going on here, Jesus? Not fitting my square box, Where's the mourning over sins? Where's the sackcloth? Where's the ashes? The overall effect of this, right, was their view of religion was solemn. 
It was joyless and it was gloomy. And Jesus said, well, we're doing a different thing here, right? He says that differently. You'll hear in a minute. They, they probably think they got him. They probably think they got him. They, but they underestimate how controversial Christ is. And you might too. And he is controversial, right? By the time you think you got it figured out, he throws you a little curveball. See, the issue behind all of this is the relationship between the old covenant, the law of Moses, and the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus was about to give his critics a little lesson in Old Testament understanding. And, and he's, he's going to help them understand it by telling a parable, actually two parables. So listen to the whole thing. So 34 through 39, this finishes out that section. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment and, and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old right? Get, get what he's saying. You got a, a, an old shirt. It's faded. It's got a hole in it. You like it. You say, hmm, I'm going to go buy that same shirt and I'm going to cut a patch out of that new shirt and I'm going to put it on this old shirt. And they don't match, right? The color's not faded the same. And now you had this new shirt that was like the shirt you just bought and you just ruined it. It don't make sense. And so that's what he's saying. You don't make sense. And, and then he, just in case you don't get it, he keeps on going. He says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new. Hmm, that's an interesting change. The old is good, right? See, in both these parables, Jesus is making the point about his coming about his arrival. His arrival has brought some, about something new, a, a new covenant, okay? Uh, and we're, we're going to get into that as we continue through the Gospel of Luke big time, right? But it's a new reason to celebrate, like a wedding, right? And, and so for Jesus, repentance is actually associated with joy in this moment, way more than remorse, kind of like a wedding, right? And he uses the wedding to drive home the point, right? Don't miss that. See, Judaism... As, as good as it was, okay, as good as it was, had become an old, worn-out garment. And it didn't fit the nations, for sure. It was just a Jewish thing. It, it, and they wanted to patch Messiah into it. And he's like, that's not how it works. It can't be patched. I, you can't take a little bit of me and just fix up the thing, right? Because here was the deal. The law of Moses couldn't save you. It could only show you, I need saved. They missed it. We miss it. We so many times want to make like Christianity this to-do list and just do this and just do that and eventually you'll clean yourself up and then Christ will save you. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. You have no chance unless Christ saves you. That's it. And, and they're not getting it and Jesus is helping them get it. He's loving them with truth, by the way. So don't, don't miss this. He loves the Pharisees, and he loves the scribes, and he loves the sinners, and he loves the tax collectors. But he's loving them differently. He's loving them differently. He knows what medicine they need. He's a good doctor. And he's going to give them, oh, I don't like the taste of that medicine, but it's the medicine you need. Do you, do you understand? Don't think he's like not loving these folks. He's loving them. He's just loving them with truth. See, our culture don't get that. We think we can love people apart from truth. You can't. 
You can't. If you don't have truth in your relationship, you don't have love. But he comes full of grace and truth. So you can say true things to people in not a loving way. That's not helpful. But Jesus comes full of grace and truth. And so here he is. And he's loving them. The salvation that Jesus has come to bring demands a fresh thinking for the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And what it means to be God's people, right? This is good news of great joy for all people, Jesus is saying. And they're saying, no! And he's saying, uh, yeah, actually it is. And that includes tax collectors. That includes sinners. It will include you. But first, you're going to need some more medicine. Because they're not ready to receive the doctor's orders. Okay, and you'll see that as we continue. This is, by the way, the second confrontation and conflict out of five between now and chapter six, verse 11. You've got two out of five. You've got a couple more coming right up, right? The news that Jesus brings produces an ever-expanding joy in the heart of his people. Levi's got it right. They got it wrong. They don't get it, right? The new wine of life cannot be restrained by the old inflexible structures and he, and he knows it and so he's teaching so here's the saddest thing of all by the way this good news of great joy is the fulfillment of the ancient promise that would have been in their bible and they missed it and they missed it right this is actually fulfilling all the promises that were promised to israel but they reject the messiah they're just so far from the heart of god they can't see they just can't see. They can't see, and they believe what they're doing is right as they sit in their ivory tower and they look down upon people with this kind of look. And Jesus comes, and he's, he's saying, you're blind. He's going to tell them here very shortly in the next few chapters, you're blinded by your self-righteousness. The reason you can't see is because you got this big old telephone pole sticking out your face, and you're worried about everybody's little speck. You might want to look in the mirror right? That's a paraphrase. That's why I don't write Bible translations. <laughs> Ready for the first point? Get nervous. Just kidding. We'll finish. They're, they're just right at the end. Um, the first point is Jesus invites even the worst of sinners who are judged by others to enter into his joy through repentance and faith as they follow him into everlasting life. That's what it means to come to Christ. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not trying to ruin your life. He is saying, I am life. Will you trust me? I'm where joy is found. Will you trust me? I bring the better party. I promise you. This party, you don't need some concoction the next morning to get over your headache. This party never ends. That's the Jesus party. And it's so much better than anything you can come up with. Right? And so Martin Luther said this. He said, a Christian should and must be a cheerful person. If he isn't, the devil is tempting him. <laughs> I don't have time to get into this, but, but, but here's the point. If we understand the reality of what it means to be in Christ, even though hard things happen, even though life is hard, you ought to be very cheerful knowing that your greatest problem has been resolved because the wrath of God is gone for you and you are in the everlasting joy of Christ and it never ends and no one can ever snatch you from his hand. Therefore, I have a deep, resounding joy, even though I might have tears streaming down my face because of the brokenness of this life. But it's coming. So he said, get your head in the clouds. Get thinking of what it means when Christ returns or you go to be with him. But, but no, you can't. If you try to create heaven here on earth, you'll get it all wrong. 
You just get it all wrong. You can't do it. You're to be salt and light in darkness and in a place that desperately needs preservative. Preservative, because that's really what the salt meant there, not so much flavor. This place is rotten. You're going to help bring it forward. Salt and light wherever you go. And Jesus is showing them this. See, Jesus brings the better wine of the new covenant. Jesus brings the superior relationship. We're not only the friends of the bridegroom, by the way. As, as Jesus will continue to teach his disciples, and as we already hopefully know through the word of God, we're the bride. The church, the called out ones, those who trust in Jesus from all time are the bride, right? And, and so Jesus is the bridegroom of our soul, right? Life is a celebration that produces perpetual joy with Christ. You, you want to see it? The book of Revelation paints this picture. Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says this. It's basically at the end of it all, right? What's it going to look like? Here's a picture. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters. If you've ever been to Niagara and all the, the, the waters coming over the falls, you, it's deafening. I was in this little boat and I was like, when's the last time this thing's been inspected? About to go see Jesus. It, we made it, by the way. Uh, but it's loud. It's loud, right? Like the sound of mighty pearls, uh, peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, the church, right, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Have you ever thought about that? Every good deed you do is like another little sequence or a pearl or you know, jewel on the dress. Right? It's imagery, but basically, every time you do anything, you're just building a dress. Yeah? You ever thought of that? I haven't either. There you go. All right. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Do you, do you ever think about it? It all ends in a feast. It all ends in a beautiful marriage. And by the way, he did not pick the most lovable, beautiful bride. We're pretty grimy. Pretty grimy, right? He makes us lovable by loving us. By loving us. His blood washes us white as snow. Right? His perfect sacrifice upon a cross is what makes the way for us to enjoy life with God through repentance and faith. But it's also what cleanses us. It's what makes us beautiful. He loves us not because he needs love from the bride, but because he loves. But because he loves. And so he comes and he saves. It all ends in a wedding feast. So let's look ahead, by the way, church, with great anticipation to this great marriage supper. When the Lamb, right, and, and the church are joined together. We're already together, but there's this day where it's official, and it's official now. The wedding will happen. It will happen. It's, it's as good as done, right? Hang in there. But, but, but listen, this is why I say big church. It's not just Greensburg. A great multitude gathered from every tongue, tribe, nation will be there. Think about that. Of all time, of everywhere, and rejoicing and exalting and giving Him glory. And as we do that, we remember our friendship, our fellowship, our forgiveness lies at the heart of what Christ has come to do. He loves. He loves. 
And he just comes right into your mess. And he says, you're mine. You're mine. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I know everything you've done. I know everything you've done. And I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to pay for it all. It'll be finished. You're mine. So when you receive Christ, what you're doing is you're embracing his love that he's done. That's what you're doing. The only thing that keeps you from coming from Christ is you don't understand how much he loves you. And you wrongly think that life's better without him. The reason people don't come to Jesus is not more complicated than this. You just don't want to quit doing what you're doing. And you know, if I come to him, I got to quit. But what you don't understand is coming to him is life. You've bought the lie. That's why truth sets you free. And Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him, right? So, all right, church. As the people of God who have experienced this healing, this forgiveness, and this great love of the bridegroom, we should never descend into critical and judgmental spirit towards people outside of Christ, right? Let's just bring it home. We just shouldn't. Do you ever look at a dog and wonder why it has fur? Some dogs don't, I know. Just work with me here. Do you ever wonder why it barks? Do you ever wonder why it lifts its leg on, on things and, and goes potty? No, why? Because it's a dog. Why is it Christians, after they've been walking with Jesus long enough, start to wonder why sinners sin? It is their nature. I, I'm just never surprised when birds fly. That's what they do. We, we get it so mixed up. However, it, it does. It happens so easily. You want to know what happens? Do you want to know when it happens? It's when you and I think we've arrived and we don't need Dr. Jesus anymore. It's, we don't need a checkup. I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, actually, you should see your rating, your numbers. It's not good. I know, you know, like you need to eat some Hobbit food. Like your cholesterol's through the roof, bro. Like... <laughs> It's when you think you're certain. You're certain of your own health. I'm good. You are because you're in Christ, but you can actually be in Christ and not healthy. This is why it's so important to be around other Christians. You want to know why? Because it it comes out then. Oh, you get in community, you start to see your blind spots. Why? Because you hopefully have some people around you who say, hey, by the way, that thing you said to your wife, it's pretty jerky. (laughs) Do you talk to her like that always? No. I hope not. And if you do, you really need to work that out. Do you, do you need help? Let me pray for you. Let's grab coffee this week. It's not going to happen in night one. So you're like, oh, I was going to go to the small group thing, but if that's what it does, you know, we're going to build relationship. But if you're never known, you're never loved. You got you to come on in. You got to come on in, right? Those who are certain of their own health never go to the doctor. It's only those who actually understand, man, I still, I've not arrived. I'm sin sick. I need Christ. Sadly, it's easy for a follower of Jesus to actually become self-righteous. By the way, in some ways, self-righteousness for the Christian is such a pet sin. And it's so easily overlooked because we put it under the category of holy. I've arrived. I only read the King James. Um, You want to know if you're growing in love for Christ? Ready? It's not how many Bible verses you have memorized. It's this. Ready? It's it's you think about those who are lost. You think about your neighbor, and you think about how to get them to come to Christ. Because you're not thinking about you at all. 
You're just thinking about loving your neighbor. That's how you know. You're starting to get it if, if you're there, right? We must never forget that you and I are sinners, saved by grace if you are indeed saved. And we can say with the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, with, with absolute assurance, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am mega chief of foremost of right it's, Paul said the apostle Paul says that we can say that John Newton if you don't know him he was a slave trader as a young man but after experiencing God's amazing grace he wrote that song in Christ he became a respected pastor an author a writer a hymn writer a singer and on his deathbed here's what he said my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ Jesus is a great savior well, if you only know that, boy, you know a lot. You know a lot. You got to keep coming back to the gospel. You got to keep coming back to the good news, and you better never forget it. By God's grace, we must never forget that without Christ, you and I were lost sinners, having no hope without God in the world, dead in our trespasses and sin. We must keep preaching the good news to ourselves and to one another. Like, the gospel, the good news of Christ, needs to come into a lost and dying world, inviting sinners to come to Christ. You and I must. Will you give your life to that? It's easier to go live in the cul-de-sac. I get it. You can live in the cul-de-sac and still do the thing. But, but will you give your life to it? I used to live in a cul-de-sac, right? I'm not picking on cul-de-sacs. Will you give your life to it? Do you have anyone in your life that's messy? When you invite them over, you're like, I might have to like, debug this house. I've had fleas in my house because I, that's another story for another time. We're running out of time. Will you do it? Will you let people mess up your hair so that they might experience life with God? Or is this whole thing about you? Is it about you? If, it, if you think it's about you, you've missed it. But here's the good news. It's never too late to change because you're still alive today. You could change today. See, when we come to faith in Christ, it isn't like we've now arrived. He's conforming us into his image. He's continually just, no, this way, son, this way, daughter. This is where life is found. Follow me. Follow me. Point two, don't start showing. We're almost done. <laughs> this is the last point, and really, I don't have many notes after this. Disciples who follow in Jesus' footsteps don't separate from sinners, but seek them out and serve them. There is a way to be isolated from sin, and you should be. To be in Christ. By the way, don't use this kind of language to continue on in sin. Oh, I'm going to go reach all the people at the bar because I really just want to get drunk. You don't honor Christ with that mentality. You need to experience and receive the gift of grace. Because grace received and understood says, I don't want to dishonor my Lord. All right, so there, maybe none of you should ever go to a bar. If, if it's a temptation to get drunk. It's not a temptation for me, honestly. Even before I got saved at 23, I got drunk maybe three times in my life before Jesus saved me. It's just never been a thing for me. So I can go to a bar, have one drink, and never want to have another one, and think about the people that are there. But maybe you can't. You have to use wisdom here. But there's a way to be isolated from sin, but not be isolated from sinners. We've got to figure that out. I think we have figured that out, by the way. If you stick with us long enough, you're going to eat great barbecue this summer. 
Ryan Kelly, Kate, they're just masterful. And they've figured out how to leverage barbecue to the glory of God. <laughs> they have. I remember when you went down to West Virginia to buy the, the, it looks like a yellow submarine barbecue smoker thing from a hillbilly in the hills of West Virginia. And you brought that beauty home and it didn't smoke right. So you got a welder friend and you fixed the thing. And the whole reason he was doing this was, listen, here's why. He said, we could just fire this sucker up in a town and like let the, the smoke permeate everywhere and invite people to come in and enjoy the best barbecue that you can get in Greensburg and further beyond. It's just a fact. That's why I did it. We want to bring a better party. And so one of the nights we did that, I remember there was a lady, she comes and she's got cases of stuff and it's good stuff, right? And she just shows up and it's probably makes some religious folks pretty, a little awkward because, you know, it's like it's high test proof, right? And there's tons of people who are around us who don't know or love Jesus. None of us are drunk. We're all sharing the gospel with them. We didn't reinvent the wheel. That is the wheel. That's the wheel. Shepherds ought to smell like sheep. Evangelists will smell like sometimes you're going to get some booze on your shoe. It's going to happen. But if we don't go to them, you think they're coming here? They're not coming here. That, that day's over in America where you just have a bunch of lost people show up to a church. They don't, it's, just, it's done. It's just done. They might show up at a big church on Christmas and watch Jesus fly across the ceiling with the light show. <laughs> But who cares, right? I mean, if they preach the gospel now, I'm excited, but too many times. You want to stay away from sin, stick close to, to Jesus. And get around some sinners. You're one. Following Jesus, by the way, will require us to get our hands dirty. It's, it's, it's going to mess up your life. I don't want that. Sorry. Jesus said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's those who are ill. Sinners without Christ have one hope, Jesus. May we be the hands and feet who bring him to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and Lord we thank you for the opportunity to be reminded that you came and got us that the hound of heaven <laughs> tracked us down and and for some of us brought us kicking and screaming into the kingdom we we were so far from you and yet you came so very near to us may we be reminded this Christ, this Christmas season of the good news that you the eternal God put on flesh and dwelt among us so that we might have life with the Father. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you now rule and reign, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, that you're mediating the relationship between those who trust in you and this holy, perfect God, and that you still delight to save. Oh, Christ, magnify yourself in and through us. We ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.